This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Coconut Pete's Pleasure Island. Coconut Pete took his famous song, Pina Colada Berg, and turned it into a beautiful reality. Visit Coconut Pete's Pleasure Island and have a good time all the time. And remember to always eat the worm. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's summer, summer, summer time. On Pod Cemetery with 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer and 2004's Club Dread. Did they say it's springtime in Club Dread? Yes, but we're ignoring that. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. In 2006's Slither, the parasite that infects Grant Grant is what kind of creature? Like, do they mean like an alien? It's an alien slug. It says extraterrestrial. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say. <laughs> yes. I thought you were going to say slug, and I was going to say incorrect. <laughs> I guess not technically a slug. Did I? I've, I've definitely told you. I don't think I've ever said it on the show. But as a young child... I stepped on a slug in my socks, Ew. which arguably was worse than bare feet. Gross. Because, like a big banana slug. Oh. Yeah, because up where my grandparents live in way, way, way North California, they're all over the place. And I was running up the steps, the front steps to their house, and squish right on a banana slug. Killed it, of Aww. course. But, like, oh, it's all gooey. <laughs> Gross. So, like, from then on, I would get banana slug postcards and shit from my grandma. <laughs> all right, Kelsey. Actor Jeffrey Combs played what character in Reanimator 1985? Fuck, what's his name? Well, first, which one? It's the main one. Yes. Do you remember the name of the original H.P. Lovecraft story? Because it was literally dude's name hyphen reanimator. I don't know. You don't know? I don't remember. Would it ring a bell if I said his last name is a cardinal direction? Herbert West. Yes. Very good. <laughs> Very good. I wanted to prove that you knew it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. First up is 1997's. I Know What You Did Last Summer, based on the novel by Lois Duncan, written by Kevin Williamson and directed by Jim Gillespie, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Anne Heche, Ryan Phillippe, Freddie Prince Jr., and Johnny Galecki. What is I Know What You Did Last Summer all about? A group of high schoolers accidentally kill someone in a car accident, and they... it. it becomes a hit and run because they leave and then a year later someone knows what they did last summer and is out for revenge nice 
Now, before we get too deep into it, let's talk about Lois Duncan's original story. It is a thriller involving a murder by young teenagers. Not a murder. It's an accident again. Right. They didn't do it on purpose. Manslaughter. Yes. And the consequences thereof. Yes. But Lois Duncan, she's since passed. She died in 2016. Hated this movie. Can you tell us why? I would assume that she hated it because they turned it into like a, a teen slasher with a guy with a hook. Yes. As opposed to the brother of the kid who died. Because in this version, it's not a kid. They kill a kid in the book and it's the brother. Well, he's a young man. Or so they think. <laughs> and it's... The person coming after them is the older brother of the kid. Yeah. Uh, and he does not have a hook. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no. That is exactly right. But she also found it especially distasteful because her own daughter was murdered in real life. So she didn't like the fact that it was turned into a hack, like a, like a slasher film. Spoilers for the book. No one dies. No one actually dies. So that's interesting. When was her daughter... I really want to know. Her daughter, Kate, was killed in 1989, at which point she said, quote, I went weak after Kate's murder. How could I even think about creating a novel with a young woman in a life-threatening situation? That happened in 89. The original I Know What You Did last summer was in the 70s, right? 73. Yeah. She had since updated it, or at least the editors had you told me about, to be, like, modern, including Starbucks and cell phones and stuff like that. <laughs> Starbucks and cell phones. <laughs> but other than that, it's largely the same story, right? Yes, as far as I know. Apparently, the murder has never been solved. It was even on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Caitlin Arquette was a popular, vivacious honor student who dreamed of becoming a doctor. But in 1989, Caitlin was brutally and senselessly gunned down, leaving her family haunted by unanswered questions. Who killed Caitlin and why? Was she the victim of a random shooting or the target of a hired assassin? Our family doesn't have any real idea who pulled the trigger on Kate. The one thing we feel very strong about is that she was not shot randomly, as just people out on a spree having fun shooting a pretty girl in a red car. We believe Kate was killed because she was going to talk, was going to expose illegal activities involving her boyfriend and his companions. The one thing we're absolutely sure of in our own minds is that this was not a random shooting. Kate was assassinated. That combined with the fact that it deviates pretty strongly other than the core setup mm -hmm. from the original book she didn't like it very much what did you think of the book i enjoyed it i thought it cheated me a little bit with who the killer was the killer's yeah identity. i mean you figured it out but talked yourself out of it yes because you're like well that wouldn't make sense <laughs> and then it turns out that is what happened yes. it basically uses a feature of books that <laughs> that movies uh can't afford right they cannot do this it's literally impossible for a movie to do this mm -hmm. and maintain the mystery but a book since you're just reading words on paper and you can't see people's faces <laughs> can do it so what about the movie though do you think people should watch it 
I love this movie. It is a classic. It is a classic. Kevin Williamson, you might know from Scream. He wrote Scream. He also wrote Dawson's Creek. <laughs> which, by the way, they go to Dawson's Beach. I in noticed this. that. Yeah. I noted that. Um, but he actually wrote this script before he wrote Scream. But this script got produced because of Scream. And this was released the next year. But yeah, I mean, it does not hold up. It doesn't. If you're going to watch it, be prepared for it to be soups cheesy. Uh, but I remember this movie coming out. I was about 14 at the time. <laughs> like the perfect age for this, maybe a little bit younger. But uh, you were 10 when this movie came out. Yes, I was. <laughs> but my brother was 15. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I was watching all of this stuff. Yeah. And my parents just didn't care at that point. <laughs> but this is sort of... I mean, it's sort of the start of the late 90s, early 2000s crap teen horror trend. Because starting with Scream and then progressively thereafter, like these teen-focused horror movies started to get, like, worse and worse. And kind of, you know, churned out just because they could sell. Uh, but this was at the front end of that when it wasn't that bad, actually. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's a classic. If you haven't seen it, you should probably see it. Just don't expect too much out of it. <laughs> you could take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Welcome to Southport. A toast to our last summer of decadence. The perfect small town. He's dead. But beneath the surface, there are secrets. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. That just won't stay buried. Hey! From the creator of Scream. Are you on drugs? Help him, he's gonna kill him! I know what you did last summer. Rated R. Kelsey, can you tell us how the movie starts? It's very Orange County. It opens on... But it's, it's not. not it's not yeah. set in the Orange County. It's in like North in Carolina County, or something like but that. But, like, the way it goes over the water and, like, yeah. with the sunset, it feels like it's Orange County, but it's not. What's playing on the radio? <laughs> Summer Breeze. Summer Breeze makes me feel fine, but it's by Typo Negative. It is not. Oh, it is it not is a good rendition. Late nineties cover time. <laughs> Trying to make this light and happy yeah. summer song into a throaty, guttural uh -huh. rock sound. Like remember when we when we talked about happy together? It's <laughs> yeah. not quite that bad. No, but it's still Pretty something. Bad. Yeah. And we see this random dude on the rocks looking at, I guess, is what is a compass? I don't it's like know. a necklace. I guess. Yeah. It's one of those things where when you spin it, I think it shows you like a bird in a cage, like we saw in Sleepy Hollow. Kind of like that, where it's two things on either side and you can hit it and it spins. But it's not a good optical illusion. We don't even get a good look at it. It only comes up like once more in the entire movie. <laughs> and he's drinking and he's sad and it's the 4th of July. So we see some fireworks happening. 
We meet our four main characters who are high school seniors. This is the summer before they all go off to their hopeful futures. Yes, you're going to have to deal with the fact that we're going to refer to them by the actors and the actresses' names, but we'll get them out right now. Jennifer Love Hewitt is Julie James. Sarah Michelle Geller is Helen Shivers. Ryan Philippi is Barry Cox. And Freddie Prince Jr. is Ray Bronson. So that's Julie, Helen, Barry, and Ray. Jennifer Love Hewitt, I think, was miscast. She's playing the sweet, lighthearted, bubbly teenager. Yeah, I said and- this to you already. <laughs> she does a lot better later on in the movie when she's supposed to be, like, depressed and, like, dour, like, drama time. Like, she was on Party of Five. <sighs> like that. When she's supposed to be, like, upbeat and chipper and, like, having some sort of rapport with any other character, it just does not work. <laughs> Maybe Sarah Michelle Geller, but, like, it, their relationships are just not that believable. Sarah Michelle Geller, she wants to be a star. She wants to be a famous actress. She's going to move to New York. She wins oh. the beauty pageant this day. Yes, she won the beauty pageant. And Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is going to go off to college. This is what their bright, hopeful futures are ahead of them. So, Ray... <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. I guess he was going to go to college, and then he decided not to. Yeah, but really it was more he wants to be included with the rich kids, because this is kind of a rich community, supported by, like, the fishermen and stuff like that, that economy. And he's the son of a fisherman who he never knew... Or whatever. Totally different from the book. Yeah. Completely different. I'm not that invested in telling you all the differences. I'll tell you some big differences that I think that mm-hmm. w- were mistakes, but that's not one of them. And so he, I guess, is going to go off to college, probably with Jennifer Love Hewitt, I guess, was probably Once, yeah. the idea. And Ryan Felipe is going to go and get his, He has a football scholarship and is going to college. Okay. So we meet them at Sarah Michelle Geller's beauty pageant. Where she wins. It's really the way they decided to film it is really silly. It's them up in the up in the balcony all by themselves. Yeah, where nobody else is, yet the ground floor is packed. Yeah. But they're doing that to set it up for next year. A year from now, crazy things are gonna happen in that balcony. Yeah. So we meet Sarah Michelle Geller's sister who really isn't important to the story at all. She's just she's a big character in the book. So I'm assuming that's why they kept her, but, like, otherwise she's really unimportant. Yeah, played by Bridget Wilson, now Bridget Wilson Sampras. Picking her to be the character is ludicrous. Why? What, based on the film, because I got the exact same impression of the character in both the book and the film, why do you think she hates her sister so much? Well, I I figured her her younger sister's the pretty one who gets everything she wants, and... Yes. Yeah. Would you look at that woman and say that she is unattractive? No, No, not at all. They put her in fucking glasses and that's supposed to make her unattractive. In the book, she's supposed to be quite large. Here's the thing about Bridget Wilson. I mean, we saw her in House on Haunted Hill. She is the love interest in Billy Madison, the one he says so hot, want to touch the hiney. Oh, hot, want to touch the hiney. She's Sonya in Mortal Kombat. Like, it's completely she's, stupid. She's attractive. Yeah. Why on <laughs> earth would they do that? I don't know. Except for it's a teenage thriller and they can only have hot people, apparently. Yeah, uh-huh. 
What did you write? So there's a lot of 90s teenage slang being used here that I'm fairly certain no one ever actually used. Why don't you ask? So, like, when they're in the car uh-huh. and they're... They're going to beam down to Dawson's Beach. I know it's because she's got a beamer. Yeah, but no. But oh my no, God. absolutely not. Let's blow. Okay. As in let's you leave. You brought that up. That's absolutely a term. What? <laughs> absolutely. You I, used that? I have used it, yes. <laughs> okay. Now I usually just say I'm outie. Audi 5000. Also, on the drive down, they're blasting the offspring, which made me happy. So they're sitting there on the beach in front of a bonfire, and they're telling each other urban legends. And they tell the story. Bunch of different, you know, you know how they all blend together. Yeah, well. That's the joke. Yeah, it is. No, that's not how the story ends. It ends like this. No, that's not how it ends. It ends like this. And it's all the hook-handed killer story. Because this killer is going to have a hook. And they're just doing their best to show you how in love and how happy these kids are. And Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Felipe are having sex. And Jennifer Love Hewitt decides to give herself to Freddie Prince Jr. on the beach for the first time. God, it's such bad acting in those scenes. It's very cheesy. It's very, very cheesy. I hate this. I really hate this. You're going to go off and you're going to fall for some head-shaven, black-wearing, tattoo-covered, body-piercing philosophy student. That sounds attractive. I'll never see you again. Oh my god. And there's this scene between Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. And I forgot what they're talking about, but it's right there on the beach and she goes, cite your source. Hey, did you know the success rate of high school sweetheart relationships is higher than any other type of relationship? Yeah, cite your source. And he points to his heart. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so, so bad. (laughs) But I fucking love it. It's endearing is what it is. It's endearingly bad, yes. And Felipe in his white pants and white sweater is getting drunk and being a show off. And he's obviously an alcoholic, which Sarah Michelle Gellar makes a joke about, like, oh, you're going to go to rehab. So, by that time, I will just be finishing my two-year contract on Guiding Light coinciding with your first year as starting quarterback for the Steelers. Cowboys. Whoever. Then we can elope to Europe or the Caymans, wherever, where I'll let you impregnate me with the first of three children (laughs) before you head off to rehab. And then we can live happily. Blah, blah. But they're driving, and Felipe is pissed that they are treating him like he's drunk, and he starts messing around. Well, it's his car, too. Yeah. Because he doesn't want anybody else driving his car, and they all have to humor him like, yeah, yeah, you're going to kick our asses, uh So he decides to get reckless, and he gets outside, he gets up through the window, and he's Mighty like, Mighty Boston's, by the way. Oh, is it? Yeah. And he distracts everybody. And Freddie Prince Jr. hits something. And at first they think it's an animal, but it's not. Jennifer Love Hewitt finds a, a boot, boot that got knocked off the guy. It's a little confusing because they they spin out and so they're not facing the same direction they originally were. They discover that it's a dude and they're like, oh, shit. And then a car starts coming as they're arguing about this and what to do. 
And so they're like, well, at the very least, we need to not get discovered right here by some rando. So they go and try to move the body when they discover that it's Johnny Galecki, who has a big crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt. She goes and talks to him and tries to get him to, you know, kind of move on while they pretend that it's really because Ryan Felipe is sick and he's vomiting. He acts very suspicious of them all. And then when Freddie Prince Jr. comes over and is like, hey, how's it going, buddy? He's not having any of that because that's the boyfriend of the girl he's crushing on Uh that he's known since they were little kids. And eventually he ends up leaving, but not before, like staring them all down and being kind of a dick. Yeah. Well, because they were dicks to him earlier. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, Ryan Felipe like shoved him. Yeah. Mm hmm. If you've read the book, this is completely different. They take the body and they basically push it out to sea. Completely different in the book. I think that they made the biggest change, and I think this was a good one. In the book, Ryan Felipe's character was driving and hits him. And so when Freddie Prince Jr.'s character makes the decision to not do it, it's actually because it's to save his best friend. Whereas this, they make the point that it doesn't matter. They're all going to be held accountable and all of their futures are going to be ruined because they're like, no one's going to believe that Ryan Phillippe wasn't driving. It's his car. They can't go to the cops because he's stone cold fucking drunk and no one's going to believe that he wasn't driving at the time. Use your brain, Julie. We call the police and we're fucked. It was an accident. Look, let's think about this a minute. Think about what? Think about what? He was crossing the road in the middle of the night, okay? It was an accident. You weren't drinking or speeding. There's liquor all over the car. But you're sober. They'll never believe I was driving. It's my car. They'll nail my ass. That's not true. Are you kidding? Look at me. I'm drunk as shit. I'm fucked. No, we'll call the police. We'll tell them the truth. They'll believe us. It's manslaughter. We're going to fry no matter who takes the fall. That's also why they need to stay quiet forever. They make a pact to never talk about it again because it will ruin all of their lives if anyone comes forward. There's one point, Ryan Felipe has a lot of really good shouting lines in this <laughs> where Jennifer of Hewitt is trying to convince everyone to call 911 and he yells at her, we don't have time for your shit. Come on. Listen to yourselves. No, we are going to the police. We don't have time for your shit. Which reminds me of, I might play it here a little bit of censored here because, oh God, it's the very beginning of Way of the Gun that Ryan Phillippe is in with Benicio Del Toro. They're outside a club and he's getting in an argument with somebody and then the girlfriend chimes in and he yells at the dude to shut the girlfriend up. It's graphic and inappropriate what he says, but it's it's I will always remember that line and I will always associate Ryan Phillippe with that line. Hey, fuck suck! Get your slippery fucking ass off the car! Listen to me! Get off the fucking car with your fucking ass! Shut that c***'s mouth or I'll come over there and fuck start her head! That <laughs> <laughs> he just screams at her. <laughs> oh my god! Right? <laughs> but that's always what I'll think about when I think about Ryan Phillippe. He's very angry in this movie. I mean, like, and at one point, they when they push him off into the water, he wakes up and grabs Sarah Michelle Gellar's crown. 
Yeah. Which then requires Ryan Felipe to dive into the water. So they don't find the body with the crown. Yeah. Which looks like the underwater set at Disneyland. <laughs> yes. It's, it's just a bunch so of seaweed. Bad, and it's obscure. like it's like plastic. Yeah. It's really, really bad. Super clear water, bright. Yeah. You can see everything. There's also a, a really important and I think believable interaction here where they're like, shouldn't we at least check for a wallet and see who it is? And they're like, I don't want to know. I, I do not want to know. Which that's, would be to their detriment later. Yeah, that's important later. But also then Ryan Felipe goes down there to grab the crown and the guy's eyes open up. Mm-hmm. And that scares Ryan Felipe. You might be wondering, hey, wait a minute. If he was alive, why didn't you, why didn't they like let him live? Yeah, well, because then they can st- he can still get them in trouble. Yeah, and then also doesn't he like attack Sarah Michelle Gellar a little bit? And Ryan Felipe kind of just pushes him into the water. That's yeah. why he has the crown. Well, he, like, grabs her or something. Yeah. yeah. Don't know if I believe what happens in the end based on this. Yeah. The guy got hit by a car. Well, hold on. We'll talk about that. Okay. So <laughs> they promise never to speak of it again and jump to around the same time, a little bit before that time, the next year. And we meet. Jennifer Love Hewitt, she's at college, she has a roommate, and And she's she's, super depressed. Yeah, her hair's all stringy, she's all Uh pale, she's got dark circles around her eyes, and... And (laughs) she gets a message, a letter, that just says, it has her name on the outside, and it says on the inside, I know what you did last summer. It says the title, you wins the movie. Yeah, she gets that once she gets home. I thought she got it there. No. She gets it once she gets home. Oh, okay. Whatever. Otherwise, she wouldn't have gone home. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. It's not uh, important. But but the point is, is that she gets that when she gets home, and her mom is hassling her because her grades were really bad this year, mm-hmm. so she might lose her scholarship. Here's a question. Why do the parents know that? She is an adult. They don't send grades home in college, and parents can't call up and request that. Doesn't matter if they're paying for school. Those are your grades. The source of the money does not matter. That's your private information. And parent or not, they can't get that. You have to allow that to happen. So, I mean, theoretically, she could have told them. Or she could have just listed her address as her parents' address. And then they just opened it when it got home or whatever. I don't know any college where they send them home anyway. <laughs> well, that's because we went to college in the digital era, babe. Yep. Uh, started college in 2001 (laughs) anyway so this requires her to get into her overalls and drive over to sarah michelle geller's store oh 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 she also wears a hat very similar to a hat that i owned okay not that hat but, (laughs) but be still my heart jennifer love hewitt in overalls is just my 90s crush. Good lord. Absolutely. Jesus. I was always... You would have loved me. I wore overalls yeah. all the time uh-huh. in the 90s. I was always a Jennifer Love Hewitt stan. <laughs> so after her mother asks her if she's on drugs because of the way that she looks, she goes to Sarah Michelle Geller's store. She doesn't know that she's there. She thinks she's off in New York being an actress. She finds out from the angry sister, who is angry for no reason in this film. And that's not to say that, like, oh, just because one girl's thinner than the other, like, oh, she has every right, like, that's why you should be angry. But, like, 
if you read in the book, you'd understand. Like, all the Sarah Michelle Gellar character's character cares about is beauty. Yeah. That's all she thinks about. It's all she knows. It's all she thinks about. And so her sister, who doesn't have any of that, not just that she's larger, but also that she's apparently very unattractive, grows up hating her sister because her Mm -hmm. sister gets all the love. Anyway, so she finds out that she's working there and she goes and asks her, like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, New York didn't really work out, which is an odd choice. In the book, she's like a TV star, but like on the local news channel. uh So I don't know why you'd change that, but whatever. So she can get around and do things without being a local (laughs) celebrity? I guess. So she goes and she tells her, I got this awful message. We need to get the whole gang back together. So they go over to Ryan Felipe's house. And apparently Ryan Felipe and Sarah Michelle Gellar broke up. Yeah, like shortly after the accident. So they go inside. Well, they're on the deck. (laughs) I guess. And Jennifer Love Hewitt admits that she's looked into it. She's looked into who it was. Mm -hmm. And the guy's name was David Egan. Yeah, they found a body two weeks after that. And the story is, everyone assumes that David Egan committed suicide because a year prior, he had killed his fiance driving on the same road. Yeah, that's why (laughs) that dude that we saw earlier was up there toying with that necklace uh, is because, yes, he was pining for his ex-girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, Just like in Mean Girls, an ex-wife. Anyway, he's pining for his dead girlfriend, and that's why he's up there. And so everyone just assumed that he committed suicide when they found him washed up two weeks later or whatever because he was thinking about his girlfriend. And we find out later that they also found a note. Very, very simple that says something about, like, he's sorry to her or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it said. But I'll never forget last summer. Yeah, something like that. And then there's just, there's even worse lines here. At one point, I think it's Sarah Michelle Geller says, like, he died because of us, that's certain. Or maybe it's Jennifer Love Hewitt. I, I don't, don't know, remember, but it's, yeah. it's just really bad writing. His name was David Egan. Who? David Egan. He was found three weeks after we... His body was caught in a shrimp net not far from Miller's dock. It was in the paper. I think the police called it an accidental drowning. You can call it an accident all you want, but he died because of us, that's certain. Ryan Felipe suggests, hey, I bet it's Max messing with you. That's that's Johnny Galecki's character. And they go, why would he do that? And he says, who else? He was the only other person there that night. And so they go and they confront him. And basically, Ryan Felipe threatens Max's life. Yes. Isn't that like... Illegal? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Max shoots back that he's going to call the cops on him or whatever, (laughs) you know. And so he's really upset. And as he's leaving and he tells the girls, well, I basically, I, I put the fear of God into him. He's not going to do anything. It's not him. They run into Ray, Freddie Prince Jr., who is wearing a black A-shirt to kind of correspond to Ryan Felipe's white A-shirt. Because it wouldn't be a 90s teen movie without copious amounts of A-shirts. 
Jennifer Love Hewitt and he go off and have their own little conversation, and he has really dramatic lines. I've become the only thing I knew of my father. Yeah. He's now a fisherman. Basically, he tries to say he's sorry because he feels that he is the reason that she got involved in the scenario. And she says, I'm responsible for my own actions, but I don't want to know you either. And she yes. runs away. I know you hold me responsible for what happened. I don't hold you responsible. No, I'm responsible for my own actions, and I don't blame you. But I don't want to know you either. Jesus. <laughs> it's so bad. Apparently, she, like, this literally writer, runs away. This writer thinks that teenage girls, like, literally, literally run away from their problems. Think about Scream. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, me and my existence is too much for you. Whatever that line is. In the school hallway. Oh, right. And then she runs away. Uh I'm responsible for my own actions, but I don't want to know you either. Runs away. What's what's that movie where the girl just turns and runs and she flails her arms as she runs away? Scary movie, making fun of Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. Uh Then Max gets killed? (laughs) Yes. So... (laughs) They need to have a death kind of early on, and Max does a few things. Just like in The Stepfather, where they needed to have yes. a character like the uh, the crazy cat lady or the therapist. Here we have Max. Yes. So. He is a sacrifice to the audience gods. Yes, exactly. That's very good. Cabin in the Woods. Woo! Um, <laughs> so he's the one who has that hook. And he kind of threatens Ryan Felipe with it, right? And so when he goes back to work, he slams it down on an ice block and he goes back to tossing crabs into a boiler. Then when we see that block again, the hook is gone. And somebody comes out from the steam and stabs it up from under his head. Wearing uh, a big... A rain slicker. Rain slicker. like Like something that a fisherman would wear. There is a very convoluted explanation as to why Max dies, right? If he didn't know somebody died or whatever, why is he dead? Well, a couple of things. One argument is he was there. The killer would have maybe, maybe known that. But also, and probably more importantly, he threatened to call the cops on Ryan Felipe, Now, the dude was there watching them. The killer was there watching them. And he saw this interaction. And he knows that the cops can't get involved if he wants to play with these people. And so he needs to kill. He needs to take out Max to remove that threat. And Max comes back in a little bit. This is when Ryan Felipe gets attacked, but not killed. So later... Ryan Felipe is working out another time where somebody's in the gym alone at night (laughs) and he finds in his locker his jacket missing and a letter that says, I know, or I know what you did last summer. One of the two, it kind of fluctuates throughout the movie. And he asks the guy at the front, Hey, who else is here? And the guy's like, just you and me. And so he goes outside and he gets run off the road by somebody in, in his car. And he basically gets attacked by him, but he ends up surviving and living and through the virtue of the assailant. So 
he makes a point later that he's just fucking with us because if he wanted to kill us, he could have done it. Yeah, he he's, he says if you if he wanted me dead, he would have done it. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police. No, he wasn't trying to kill me last night. If he wanted me dead, he could have done it. He's just fucking with us. Who is? I don't know. Some guy in a slicker. Well, that narrows it down. Just being a quaint little fishing village and all. And when they add, they try to push him to say what he looked like, it's like I don't know, some guy in a slicker. And by the way, Ray, don't you own a slicker? I'm a fisherman. Yeah. Why the Everyone, fuck wouldn't I? He <laughs> does. Yeah. Uh huh. This is when Jennifer Love Hewitt desperately wants to push them to go to the police, and he says, "It was your words. Remember, you said it. Murder." Right? Because she feels like they murdered him by leaving him there. And he's like, okay, so if you want to admit that we murdered somebody, let's do that. Yeah. She does some more research and finds out that the young man's sister is still alive. The one that they killed. His sister is still alive. And her and Sarah Michelle Gellar decide to visit her and just to find out what's going on. And she knows anything or if maybe it's her. And Sarah Michelle Gellar has this really great line as they're about to go knock on the door of somebody who could be a killer. She says, Jodie Foster tried this and a serial killer answered the door. Jodie Foster tried this and a skinner serial killer answered the door. Obviously a reference to Silence of the Lambs. Yes. So they visit this woman, Missy, who's played by Anne Heche. And she talks about how things went wrong and everyone in the family's life when David died. And they asked, well, was there anything weird? Trying not to be conspicuous, but they totally are. Is there anything else weird that you know? Well, there was this one guy who was really apologetic, almost like he was responsible for it or whatever. And they're like, well, what was his name? And they find out his name was... Billy Blue. Billy Blue. They're like, shit, we got to get out of here. (laughs) We got to go. And they kind of like had a thing going on. But then she assumes, well, he must not have been able to stand the sight of her. Must have reminded him too much of David or something. And they ended up breaking it off. But they get out of there really quick. Try to play it like, oh, we got to go. Because they're pretending that AAA is coming. They get to their car. They're talking about it. Could it be her? Could it not be her? They're talking with their engine on. Like, how dumb do you have to be? She pops up because they left something in the house and is like, oh, looks like your car's running fine now, huh? And they just, like, grab the thing and speed away. Funny how that happens. Yeah. You forgot your cigarettes. Thank you. Well, so you got this car started, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking it started right up. Funny how that happens. That night, Sarah Michelle Gellar gets her hair chopped off in the middle of the night which she manages to style really nicely and still look good. But on her mirror is the word written with lipstick, soon. And she smashes that. Yeah, and before that, we saw her walking into her house. I'd like to point out, she goes to the refrigerator. She opens a drink of some sort, pours it into a glass, takes one sip, and then leaves the glass and the container on the thing and then goes up into her room. Yes, that was 100% a commercial. That was 100% a product placement. It was for like Coke or something. I can't remember what the drink was. But I was thinking that when we were watching it, I'm like, 
it is very carefully showing her pour this drink for herself in a scene that is unnecessary where nothing gets accomplished, where she drinks it and looks satisfied, and then she leaves and goes upstairs where the real stuff happens. So it was obviously somebody at Coke or whoever it was paid them to include this moment in the movie. And at this point, you're supposed to be wondering if possibly it's... Sarah Michelle Gellar's sister, because Sarah Michelle Gellar's sister made a point about how ridiculous she is with her hair, how pathetic she is. Yeah. So now it's like, oh, is it the sister? And also had access to her in the middle of the night in her bedroom and all of that. So, yeah, it could be her sister now. So is it Anne Heche? Is it Freddie Prince Jr.? Is it Bridget Wilson? Who could it be? Sarah Michelle Gellar all of a sudden breaks the glass on her mirror? Yes. Yeah, this is soon? Uh-huh. Like... Why? <laughs> she's like, what? Oh, you know? But she's not even really screaming. She's just like, <laughs> like silently doing so it. So they can like, have what? a dramatic kinetic moment. I guess. I guess. So here comes the scene. Here comes the scene, Kelsey. Tell us about it. So Jennifer Love Hewitt's trunk. Open it up. What's so inside? Okay, so it starts making noises and she's going to go visit, I think, Sarah Michelle Geller at this point, And it starts making noise. And so she pulls over and opens the trunk, and what does she see? Max covered in crabs! Max's dead body covered in crabs. She reeks out, slams it closed. Oh, she also sees Ryan Phillippe's missing jacket. jacket. Yes. Yeah, so could it be Ryan Phillippe? Oh, who knows? And so she runs to get Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Ryan Phillippe's there. They're arguing about it, and she's like, fine, I'll just show it to you. And she pops the trunk, and it's completely empty. Which makes no sense. It makes no sense. How exactly do you clean out a trunk with a body and a buttload of fucking live crabs (laughs) in the middle of the day in the suburbs in, like, two minutes? Yeah. And then run away with a bucket full of crabs (laughs) and a dead body. Like... What do you, how? Like, it was literally filled to the brim with live crabs. One of them was crawling out of his mouth and everything. It doesn't make any sense, but it's supposed to be super dramatic. (laughs) This is when we get the famous line, because they keep talking about, like, what's he doing? What's he doing? What are you waiting for? Yeah. What are you waiting for? she spins around and shows off her cleavage, because that's (laughs) built for the trailer. 100%. Don't you see? He's got us now. Okay, this is exactly what he wants. We can't go to the police. Not now. He's made sure of that. He's just out there and he's watching us and waiting. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? There's also this line that they have around this point where Sarah Michelle Geller says, What happened to us? We used to be best friends. And Jennifer Love Hewitt's like, We used to be a lot of things. <gasps> between us we used to be best friends we used to be a lot of things cue the gif from the interview where Eminem reveals that he's gay wait what (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean we used to be a lot of things what does that mean Secret lovers? Like, what? Well, no, because she used to be in a... Re- they all used to be in relationships. I understand. It's just the way that it's framed. It. What happened to us, meaning you and I, we used to be best friends, specifically you and I, we used to be a lot of things. Like what, Jennifer? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
This is when Ryan Felipe like continues on with the idea that it could possibly be Freddie Prince Jr., which I still don't quite see how why he would think that. Because he never liked the guy. But they were best friends. They really weren't. He he calls him out early on in the movie before the accident about how he he's a wannabe rich kid. Before, and he's actually no, a it's poor not guy. before the accident. That happens way after. Does it? Yeah. It happens in this year later part. Ryan Felipe also gets it in his head that it's somebody else and goes and attacks that person. Don't they see somebody, like, in a slicker and Ryan Felipe goes and, like, jumps on him? Yeah, and it's not, it's just some rando in a slicker. You can't just go around attacking people. Which, again, proves the point that that's no evidence that it's Ray. Yes. Uh, So they talk to Ray about all of this and he's like, it can't be me. I received a letter as well. Okay, well, if it was you, you could still have written yourself your own letter. Come on. Whatever. They agree to go back and see Missy again. This is where Anne Heche comes back in. And she reveals the facts that we said earlier about how the story is that this young David fellow committed suicide because his girlfriend died in a car accident a year earlier. And that's where they show him the suicide note uh, that he left. But the writing matches the writing in the notes that they've been receiving. Mm-hmm. They're like, shit, did he not really? No, they found his dead body. How could he still be alive? That doesn't make any sense. How does the suicide note of this dead man match these notes we're getting now? What the fuck? Which is kind of intriguing, actually. <laughs> like, if you go, if you boil this all down to the actual mystery, it's kind of a complex sort of intriguing mystery but it's just fluffed up with all this melodrama like it's a little too much (laughs) so now we're at the beauty pageant it's the fourth of july again and they're gonna have the beauty pageant there's gonna be this big parade in the morning sarah michelle geller is in this is where barry is killed up in the balcony yeah uh sarah michelle geller has to go back and judge and hand over the the crown to the next and while the the next pageant is going on, she sees Gary getting hacked to pieces. But when she screams for a while, nobody looks up there until nobody's there. Yeah. Uh-huh. No one looks. The no, whole they're all couple, just like, what's this crazy lady doing? You can't scream in here. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> so she goes up there with the cops and they're and like, there's nothing, there's nothing there. there. Yeah. She's mm. like, but I swear I saw. So the cop is going to take her home because obviously she's freaking out. And they find a car, like, broken down or something, and the cop gets out. And instance number one, I said last week, where the cop's talking to the guy, and she's like, Rain Slicker, this is a trap. It's a trap. And she shouts, behind you! Even though, at this point, the cop is looking right at the guy. Behind you! And then he turns around and looks at her. And now it makes sense that she's yelling behind you because the dude's behind him and he comes up with the hook and then kills the cop because he wasn't paying attention because he was looking to her when she's shouting something bizarre at him. (laughs) Does that remind you of what happened in Hush? Because same exact thing happened in Hush. (laughs) And it will happen once more before this movie's out. So she is chased. And this is like... The scene in this movie. I I know we talked about like the well-known scenes. This is like, oh, this is our horror scene. This is where all the terror is going to be. It's a very long sequence of Sarah Michelle Gellar running away from this killer. Like very long. And 
it's kind of terrifying. I say it's very effective until she gets away. She sees the parade again. Wasn't she just in a float in a parade during the daytime and now it's nighttime and there's another parade going on? Whatever. (laughs) And she runs and we'll see it in our next movie. She sees salvation, a crowd full of people. She stops short of it and is like, ah, I'm safe. Turns to look behind her, which gains her nothing. Yeah. And then that's when she's attacked from the side by the killer. Yeah. As all this celebration is going on, just feet away, he kills her. And now she is dead. Yep. Same thing happens at the beginning of Club Dread. It also involved her getting into the store, waiting on her sister to let her in, yeah. which took forever. Yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt is still doing a lot of research. Uh, because she doesn't trust that note. She thinks it's a threat. And I I, I I, remember that, but I don't remember what the note actually said. And it really pisses me off. <laughs> but she keeps reading up on the death. And she finds mention of the girl who died, the girlfriend of the guy they killed. Her father is a man by the name of Ben Willis exists and is very bitter about his daughter's death. And she sees a picture of him. And realizes that's the person that they threw in the water. That's the person they ran over. So that's where all of this stuff comes rushing in. And basically the whole mystery is solved, but they're still being pursued by a killer. So what happened was, girl dies in an accident where this young man was driving. The young man feels really guilty. The girl's dad also considers him guilty. Writes him a note to threaten him. Ends up killing this young man as he's pining on the cliffs and everyone thinks it's a suicide on his way back from murdering this young man. He gets hit by these kids tossed into the water, still alive. And he does survive. So when they find the man he killed two weeks later, Jennifer Love Hewitt thinks that's the man that they killed, but it's not. And so when this man, the girl's father is writing them these notes, and it matches the handwriting of the note that they thought was a suicide letter from the young man, that's why, because they were, in fact, written by the same person, neither of which is the one they're attributing it to. (laughs) It's, like I'm saying, it's kind of complex, but really interesting. I wonder if it would have been better not as a slasher movie. Who knows? It probably would have just been more melodrama. (laughs) Well, because in the book, it's a little boy's older brother who just got back from the war. Yeah. So he's gone crazy. Yes. So he's killing. Yeah, his little brother died while he was gone, was buried while he was gone, and he's not dealing with it well in the book. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I got to tell Ray. So she goes to Ray at the boat. He's like, what? That's nuts. And then she looks at the side of his boat and sees the name of his boat, which is... Billy Blue. Billy Blue. And she freaks out. But Freddie Prince Jr., he's like, you know, effectively, the story is, yeah, I felt really bad for what we did. I found out, just like you did, that they found this dead body. I went to the funeral. I tried to spend time with his sister because I felt so guilty. And yes, I really did leave because of this guilt I felt. I couldn't stand to be around her. All of that is true. None of that makes me the killer. That, but that's why earlier in the film he refused to go and see Anne Heche. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she would know him. Yep. 
So here comes the chase. She runs away thinking that Freddie Prince Jr. is the killer. This fisherman saves her. And when she gets on his boat, she sees the slicker. She sees all this stuff. She's like, oh, my God, it's you. And he explains everything. The lighting and the direction are kind of bad in this part of the film. Yeah. It's pretty bad. I mean, it's a boat getaway on some fishing boats and stuff. It's it's pretty bad. There's a whole chase. This is when the distraction comes in again. Yes. She yells at Freddie Prince Jr., look out! And he turns to look at her, and dude hits him and knocks him off the boat, <laughs> where he grabs onto, like, a line from a sail or something like that, uh, and manages to get dragged behind this boat, but still get back on board. While she's running away, she climbs into the cooling area where they keep all the crabs when they catch them. Long story short, he gets wrapped up in the rigging, gets pulled up to the top of the mast, where his hand gets sliced off, and then he falls into the water, and they don't ultimately see what happens to him. Is he dead? I didn't make sure. <laughs> like, this whole time, Freddie Prince Jr. has been desperately trying to get Jennifer Love Hewitt back, and she just hasn't been doing it. She hasn't been on board. And then he finally says, nobody understands me the way you do. Oh, my God. It's so melodramatic. <laughs> I love you, Julie. No one gets me the way you do. I understand your pain. And so the police are like, oh, can you think of any reason why he would want to hurt you? And they're like, nope, sorry, don't know, bye. And they get off scot-free. Yep. Cut to... A year later! Another year later. She's on the Dean's List, and they have they have I Love You More contests. Yes, and she's about to take a shower, so she's wearing this obviously rigged towel, showing off her cleavage, but still miraculously staying up. And <laughs> all this, it's just so manufactured. And when she goes back into the shower after she's off the phone with Freddie Prince Jr., she sees written on the mirror, I still know. And then, bah! Out comes a hook-handed killer from the shower glass Which I'm sure in the thing. sequel is like a dream, I'm sure. Probably, but that is ultimately what goes on. It, it is, I still know what you did last summer. Did you know they made a third one? Yes. Not with any of the original cast. No. Called, I'll always know what you did this yes. summer. Yes, and I did not see that. I did see, I still know what you did last summer. When so it did came I. Out. Yeah. Uh -huh. So did I. I don't regret it because I don't remember it. I don't really remember it either. <laughs> so, lightning round. Do you have anything? I kind of don't have anything else. There's this weird moment when they're doing the Urban Legends thing by the fire. And, like, Freddie Prince Jr. has this moment where he's like, No, it's true. They all originate from something original or whatever. Something that yeah, really, a true accident. Yeah, uh -huh. Which I guess maybe is supposed to start you in the way of thinking that he's a crazy person. I don't know. Yeah. That is one of the few times that Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr., who got married in real life, actually talk to each other in this movie. <sighs> Apparently only twice. When they're arguing about going to Anne Heche's house. And at that point where he's like, no, it's true. I know it's just supposed to be that Ryan Felipe is really scared because when they're fighting, he goes, we didn't mean it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I swear, I swear we didn't mean it. Please, please don't. We didn't 
didn't mean it. <laughs> if he's if this guy was who they thought it was. Uh-huh. I don't think he cares if you meant it or not. <laughs> you didn't mean it. Yeah. You, you knew I was alive and threw me back in the water. Yeah, that much you meant. <laughs> This movie is so incredibly 90s. Yes. With the clothing we've already talked about, the hairstyles, the makeup, it's so 90s. The music. There's just a lot of elaborate things in this movie that I think were put in it to make it seem more complex and mysterious than it really is. Yeah. But I'm fine with that. I love it. And I don't care that it's so full of melodrama. I guess because it's 90s teen melodrama, I get it on a better level than I understand 1967 Audrey Hepburn melodrama. Yeah. I guess it just has to do with when you were raised. Yeah, I guess. But like looking back on it, it's like, whew. Yes. It's incredibly whew. melodramatic, but I don't, I don't hate it. Yeah. Like, I guess, yeah, I think it's just pure nostalgia, probably. I think I give the older movies a, a pass on this kind of stuff, because that's just what acting was. <laughs> In the 90s, I'm thinking, like, why were we so obsessed with these actors? Freddie Prince Jr. is just plain awful in this movie. Like, there is, other than the fact that he's charming Freddie Prince Jr., there is nothing redeemable about his acting in this movie. He is terrible. I never thought he was a good actor. I hate the movie She's All That. I hate it. And, like, that was supposed to be, like, that was supposed to be my generation's yeah. teen movie. Yeah. I hate it because he's in it and he's fucking awful. And you have to understand, I hate that movie even though Matthew Lillard is in it. And? Rachel Lee Cook? No. Is that who you're talking about? <laughs> no. I was going to say, like, really, Chris? You're into her? Well, first of all, why wouldn't I be? She's absolutely gorgeous in that movie. What? When she's the nerdy looking one. <laughs> Paul Walker, the friend who actually makes the bet with oh, him. Oh, Paul Walker's in it yeah. too. I just remember that Matthew Lillard is the best part of that movie. Anyway, that's it for me. Yeah, me too. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to low ball it and I'm going to say 57. 42. <laughs> a by-the-numbers slasher that arrived a decade too late. <laughs> the mostly tedious I Know What You Did Last Summer will only hook diehard fans of the genre. Yep. Get it? Hook. <laughs> uh, but it's certainly correct. Yeah. Metacritic. This is, I love teen slashers. Yeah. <laughs> Metacritic of 52. Cinema score B minus, which isn't great, but it's good. Overrated or underrated? Definitely underrated. What do you think it should get? I will give it a 77. Wow. Wow. I I was going to give it a 69. 69, dudes! I don't think I... I as much as I love it, I, I can't give it a, more than a 70. Everything it does wrong, I don't mind. I guess it's just nostalgia. I have such a soft spot for nostalgia. I don't know. I fucking love this movie. Uh, okay. I almost watched it again today. Did you really? If it had been available to me, I would. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. It's that not great. It's certainly not great. And there are better teen slashers. It's... I. I... If I was going to do it based on, like, quality, it'd probably be in the high 60s. 
Which is where I put it. But I'm putting. I'm giving it like a ten percent up. Just because it's got a real soft spot for. Yeah. Me. No. I. I know. That's why I'm giving it the score that I'm giving it because. Like I think. Oh come on! <sighs> it's worth like sixty six. Yeah, and it gets three extra points because everything that I remember and love is almost, not quite, but almost outweighed by everything I didn't remember (laughs) and hate. Like, how fucking bad Freddie Prince Jr. is. Like, desperately bad. He is funny as Fred in Scooby-Doo, alongside Sarah Michelle Gellar, by the way, and (laughs) Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard. (laughs) He is really funny and genuinely good in the Scooby-Doo movies. You cannot convince me otherwise. I've only seen the first one. All he, I remember is hating it. <laughs> he is terrible in this movie. <laughs> I don't know why anyone, like, he's not even, like, yes, he's a charming guy as an actor, like, as as a teen and young 20-something in Hollywood. He's very, he's very charming and kind of handsome. But in this, bad actor, which... His looks just it, now. Now I think he's goofy now. <laughs> Ryan Philippi shouting and screaming and just full of passion and rage. I totally get it. Freddie Prince Jr. God, Ryan Felipe and Sarah Michelle Geller in Cruel Intentions. Ugh. there's too much teenage hotness in that another film. movie with a with him getting hit by a car. Yes. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> I didn't say what happened. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kelsey, that is 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Before we move on to Club Dread, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. In 1985's Fright Night, what is the name of the neighbor Charlie suspects is a vampire? Oh, fuck. (laughs) Can you give me a hint? He has the same last name as a famous... Female African-American singer from the 40s and 50s. She was in Carmen. That doesn't help me at all. HBO made a movie about her and I loved it. <laughs> no, I I can't think of his name. Jerry Dandridge. Right. God, just hearing that name, just it has it, it has feelings associated with it. I just couldn't get it there headed the other direction. Oh, I should have said it's the same name as the stepfather. Jerry? What's my name here? I never would have gotten that. (laughs) Dorothy Dandridge. Right, obviously, yeah. All right, Kelsey. Dorothy? One for you. In the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yes. 1920. Yes. When does an awakened Cesare claim Alan will die? Tomorrow? More specific. The next day. That's the same thing. More specific. On a Tuesday. No. More specific about tomorrow. At sunset. No. It's before dawn. Uh-oh. <laughs> Remember, because he's a somnambulist and he like... <laughs> he like predicts deaths. All right, moving on to our next film, 2004's Club... Dread. Woo! Written by Broken Lizard, who are, in no particular order, Jay Chandrasekhar, who is Putnam. 
the British tennis coach. Who likes to party? We <laughs> like to party. Kevin Heffernan, who is Lars, the masseuse, who you might know better as Farva and Super Troopers. What Steve about Brett Favre? Favre. <laughs> Wrong movie. Steve Lemmy, who is Juan, the Hispanic... Oh, do us water sports. Water sports. It's lots yes, of sports. Water sports. So good. <laughs> There's jokes like that throughout the movie that they do not, like, sit on. They just let go right by. And if you didn't get it too bad, you wouldn't even know it was there. But there are tons of little jokes like that. Uh, Paul Soder, who is Dave, the DJ. And, and the drugs. And the drugs guy. DJ and drugs. Yes. And Eric Stolhansky, who is Sam... Or the fun policeman. If you do not have fun, we will provide it for you. <laughs> it is directed by Jay Chandrasekhar, who is generally the director of their movies. He directed Super Troopers. And it stars all of those Broken Lizard members and Bill Paxton, rest in peace. I'm Bill Paxton. What? Yeah, he died a couple years ago. Bill Paxton died? Yeah. Of what? Game over, man. Game over. I didn't know he died. Oh, now I don't feel good making fun of him. You don't need to make fun of him. He's hilarious. You don't need to make fun of him. <laughs> Technically, he died of a stroke. They were working on a heart valve and his aorta, and he died from complications from that surgery. That's right. I remember. He went in for surgery, and then he died. It's sad. It's very sad. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. And... Brittany Daniel, who I know better as one half of the Sweet Valley High twins. When was that on? Sweet Valley High? Isn't that a really old show? The 90s. I mean, it was a book series first. Mm. But, oh, just. She was always the cuter one. I wonder if I know her from anything else. Yeah, I had a huge crush on her. So, oh, Jesus. She's way fucking skinny in this. Like... Just uncomfortably, like all the women they get in this movie who are like supermodel hot and that's like part of the joke are just uncomfortably skinny. <laughs> Joe Dirt. Yes, she is the significant other in Joe Dirt. That's why I know her. Okay. So Kelsey, what is Club Dread about? Apparently it's spring break. We're going to say it's summertime. <laughs> and basically it's just, it's a, it, they call it Pleasure Island in Costa Rica, and it's just where adults can go to drink, and it's like a resort. Coconut Pete's Resort. And there is a killer on the loose. And it's picking off all the employees. Yes. Yeah. It's basically a spoof on Friday the 13th. Yes. But instead of at, like, a lakeside camp, it's a pleasure resort camp. Hosted by a... Jimmy Buffett analog called Coconut Pete, who's played by Bill Paxton, to great effect. He's so but funny. We will get into that. Should people watch this movie? I say yes. Absolutely. I love this movie. It is so funny. It's not perfect, but no. it is hilarious. And, you know, I've seen it. This is probably my third or fourth time seeing it. Yes, some of the jokes start to... You've heard them. They're not as funny as the first time. But the first time I saw this, mm -hmm. I couldn't stop laughing. And yeah. I was laughing a lot this third or fourth time I've seen it. Is, it is absolutely my favorite Broken Lizard movie. Mm -hmm. 
It's definitely Kelsey's favorite because she doesn't like any of their other films, or at least the ones that she's seen. I think I've only seen Super Troopers. I don't think I've seen any of the other. Oh, no. Did you see Beer Fest? I saw Beer Fest in theaters with my then boyfriend. (laughs) Sorry. That movie was dumb. Okay, now if you're worried that Kelsey didn't like those movies and she loved this one, I will tell you, I love Super Troopers. I enjoyed Beer Fest, but I love Super Troopers, and I like this one better. Like, so even people who like or hate their other movies, this is still a really good one. And I would highly recommend you watch this. It's very silly. Don't think it's not. There's a lot of infantile humor about orgasms and sex and... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's filled with that. But, yeah. like, to the point of, like, they know how stupid it is. Right. There's... It's not like, hey, we're going to say penis and it's going to be really funny. Right. It's, we're going to say penis and it's so stupid that it's going to be really funny. And like, it's interlaced It's very self-aware. With, with subtle, like, actual yeah. humor. Yeah. Like, they have a lot of really good humor and like Chris said, they they don't dwell on it. They they're not trying to like push it in your face. It's like if you don't get it, you don't get it, and they move on. Yeah, and there's some really skillful writing and, and filmmaking here. And if you love the genre of horror, you're gonna notice all the little things that they did. And there are a lot. Yeah. There are a lot of those. And I'll mention a couple of them. I also I wrote down here willpower activate. Because I can't write every single punchline down. Because that's, like, what I wanted to do. It just makes me laugh out loud so often, every single time. (laughs) I fucking love this movie. We think you should watch it. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will be talking about 2004's Club Dread. In this tropical paradise, everyone's got to stick together if they don't want to get whacked. Now, what? And they're either getting killed. Are you telling me there's some totally deranged dude running around out there? Or getting lucky. Is it too much to ask? Have sex with the guests. Some of them are bad looking. It could be anyone. Run! If you're dying for a vacation. Come on, let's just have a drink and mellow out. Join the club. (laughs) Broken Lizards Club Dread. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Club Dread begin? We get some fun music and some screams. A helicopter shot of an island, Costa Rica. We see these camp counselors who are adults. Yes. Running into the woods. One guy and a chick and then another chick shows up and they're all getting high and... They're gonna fuck. Yes. There's a part where they're by an old cemetery and they start breaking stuff just like in My Name is Bruce. Yeah. They instead decide to go into the privacy of a mausoleum. Listen, if they're going to have sex in a cemetery, at least they're going to do it in, in privacy. So they go into a well, mausoleum. Because they, they feel someone watching them. Yeah. There's all this stuff in there. It seems ancient. There's swords on the wall and all this. They get interrupted while they're getting down by the murderer. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because one of the girls sees it before the other two do. And he's, like, asking her to do sexual things, and she's just like, no, no. You know, the trope of instead of saying what you're looking at, it's Uh just, oh, my God. 
The dude gets killed. The two girls go running. One says over here. One says this way. And they go opposite ways. The one who goes up to a cliff grabs onto the blade of a machete. Uh, Like I said earlier, this movie is very much a spoof on Friday the 13th. She grabs onto it. And as she realizes what she's done, she slides down it on it, off of the cliff. It doesn't look very realistic, her grabbing onto that machete, but it doesn't matter. It just places that idea into your head. And it would it's, hurt. Oh, ha, 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 yeah. Whenever people grab knives and stuff, it's, oh, jeez. <laughs> and then the other one is running away the other way. She almost gets there. And she pulls a Sarah Michelle Geller in I Know What You Did Last Summer and stops before she actually gets to the crowd of people thinking, ah, I'm safe. At which point she turns around to see if the dude's still following her. And yes, he is. And he chops her head off. Now we see him from her point of view. So when he chops her head off, the camera goes spinning down to the ground, which I thought was a really neat creative touch. Good job, Jay. Then we uh, see a group of adults coming to spend the weekend or the week or whatever it is. And one of them is going to be their new masseuse. And we get to learn about all the characters through his eyes. So as he walks up, we see... The aerobics instructor. You ready for the time of your life? You ready for the time of your life? And we see my favorite, Putnam. Who likes to party? We <laughs> like to party. Like he, he does this weird British accent, and yeah. he's, he's really funny. He's got enormous dreads, which are very yeah. silly. Are you ready to party? Come on now. Who likes to party? The fun police guy is upset because... The dude who just died, who we just saw get killed, he asks him, hey, do you have my grass? And he's like, oh, no, sorry, man. Let me know if you get some more. We see that the DJ and drugs guy gets angry because I think the blonde aerobics girl is not interested in him. Somebody's not interested in him. Yeah. Somebody makes fun of Putnam, the tennis instructor. So they're giving you all these different reasons why each person could possibly be the killer, which is fun. Yeah. We meet some other characters. We meet Penelope, who... Penelope. Will, will be called Penelope for <laughs> who, most of the movie. Who, by the way, is played by Jordan Ladd, who's been in a couple of things. If we're talking horror movies, she's also been in Cabin Fever and Death Proof. But in particular, she's the daughter of Cheryl Ladd, who is one of Charlie's Angels. Oh. We meet these two dudes who will pop up throughout the film, who are all about, like, getting drunk and girls, and yet they're kind of gay with each other. That's the joke there. We meet Coconut Pete. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, your host and rock and roll's favorite son, Coconut Pete! Played by Bill Paxton, who is a wonderful character. He's, He's basically Jimmy Buffett. He's very funny. Yeah, there's a story we'll tell about that a little bit later. The masseuse is automatically uh, interested in the aerobics instructor. Played by Brittany Daniel, who I mentioned earlier. Her name is Jenny in this. And then the fun police guy is telling scary stories by a fire. He tells one about the dickless machete guy. Okay, now I didn't, I, I said specifically, I wasn't going to write every single punchline. But it's, there's great stupid, just stupid. Stupid punchlines that they, like I said, do not rest on. They just keep going. And one of them is 
this one here where they talk about this guy. His name is Phil Coletti. And the story goes effectively that he went crazy and killed everyone who was working on the island and then castrated himself. The joke was that he ended up having sex with a corpse in front of everybody. Just Which like is a reference Terror to Terror Train. Yes, and there are plenty of those. Plus Penelope being somebody who's coming back to the camp, but nobody recognizes as somebody who's been there before, is like Sleepaway Camp 2. Especially when they hint that she might be the murderer. There are a few of these references to, to classic horror movies. But anyway, this guy, his name is Phil Coletti, and they say... Phil Coletti became Machete Phil. <laughs> From that point on, Phil Coletti was forever known as Machete Phil. And it just sounds like a stupid name and you move on, but it's obvious there is a they're setting up for the rhyming of Machete Coletti and then it's just Machete Phil. Stupid fucking jokes like that just get me. Every single time. <laughs> the whole joke is leading up to the fun police dude standing up and having his dick between his legs, right? And yeah. that man was me, but Putnam gets to it before he does. Yeah. <laughs> You're an asshole, Putnam. <laughs> then they're doing, like, Pac-Man racing through a hedge maze. Reference to The Shining. And I love this scene. <laughs> Putnam gets, like, attacked by one of those two dudes who I talked about earlier, and he's just like, a simple tag would have sufficed. <laughs> a simple tag would have sufficed. You didn't fuck that! <laughs> they end up sending in a guy who's a pair. People are running after him. He keeps getting, like, scared by, like, just regular people, and then there ends up being an actual murderer yeah. coming after him. And, and we, it's very funny. We see the murderer's POV. Uh, which is not uncommon for, for horror movies, where there's a slasher out there. But, specifically, he finds a mask and then puts on the mask while he's in POV. And then we see his POV through the eyes of the mask, just like in Halloween. In this case, though, it's a pineapple mask. It's around this time that they start to realize, hey, we've lost four camp counselors. They're obviously targeting us. This is a problem. Yeah. They think it's going to be a camp goer, so they start looking into the people. And remember, there's Penelope, who Juan is interested in, and he's really starting to worry that Penelope might be the killer because she's mad that he's been hooking up with other camp goers. Yeah, because he is, everyone here is just a big old slut, in including Juan here. They say that they've gone through, like, the, the people's stuff, and they're like, we did find a wooden Bible. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> That is weird. That's weird. <laughs> We missed the part where they find Carlos, who's like the kit, one of the kitchen workers, who's out there parasailing. We don't realize it's him, but he's already dead. We saw him die. Oh, yeah, we saw him like fly through the background. <laughs> yeah. And then at this point where they're arguing about something, just he comes smashing into this <laughs> shack, which gets me every single fucking time. Every time I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. They've noticed around the island there have been a lot of references to a song. So they listen to the song uh, by Coconut Pete to try and figure out, like, who's next. Yeah. This all turns out to be nothing, but it's pretty funny. They're just like, so now we're listening to this acid trip song trying to figure out who's <laughs> next. So this guy is killing people according to a fucking acid trip song? This is insane. Our lives depend on us interpreting the dumbest fucking song I've ever heard. La, 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 la. 
Please, don't hold back. Just say what you really think. I I'm not sensitive. A lot of them are thinking it might be the masseuse because he's brand new. Yeah. And Again, is the guy played by the guy who's Farva in Super Troopers. Putnam and the masseuse are going to go and look. And he's just like, I'm not going out, though, without a weapon. I'm taking a machete. <laughs> machete. <laughs> Aren't you taking any weapons? I have all the weapons I need. Piss on that. I'm taking a machete. And they're really scared of the masseuse because he has, like, a collection of swords and stuff. And a shrine to Coconut Pete. Yeah, so I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, they, they never explain it beyond that. He's literally just a fan, and they just move right by. They still suspect him, <laughs> but there's no, like, greater explanation. So they're sitting there, the two of them on the beach, and at first the masseuse starting to get scared. He thinks maybe Putnam is gonna kill him, because Putnam takes out this big bag, and he's yeah. being very ominous, and then he finally says, I know things you don't. And then he puts the bag over his head, so it's for his gigantic... It's for his dreads. He dreads. puts it on when he goes to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did we talk about why they're out there? They're looking for the killer. They're looking for the boats. Oh, yeah. So the killer has gotten rid of all of the escape boats. Yes, that's why when Carlos is parasailing, it's the killer who's in the boat. And they find one of the boats, but its propeller is broken. And the other boat is just missing. And so that's what Lars and Putman are looking for. But Putman has a dream. <laughs> Which really freaks him out. And so he wakes up and he screams off into the forest, into the uh, jungle, rather. And Lars is like, okay. <laughs> so he comes back home alone and everyone's like, ah, what happened to Putman? You killed Putman. He's like, he ran off into the jungle. A likely story. So they're going to put him in the drunk tank. And it's pretty great. The masseuse is just like, lay off me, fun pig. <laughs> okay. So the line is, which is really, really good. Back off, fun pig. You want a fun fucking arrest me? You better get a fun fucking warrant. Otherwise, stay out of my fun fucking face. I want to know what Lars's deal is, huh? You come here and everyone starts getting hey, killed. Hey, I don't have to tell you shit, fun pig. You want to fun arrest me? You get a fun fucking warrant. Until then, stay out of my fun fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, he gets put in the drunk tanks. Then the rest are still worried about who the killer is. At some point, the blonde aerobics instructor goes out to the pool area, and she sees a bunch of people there. She's like, you guys going to stick around? Oh, yeah, we're just getting started. So she jumps into the, the pool. And while then she's somebody, down there. <laughs> somebody comes running through while she's out in the water, and he's like, first person to catch me gets free drinks. So everybody <laughs> runs away. And the murderer shows up, and there's a whole sequence of the murderer trying to get her underwater, and it reminded me of It Follows. Yeah. Because uh, he's got her by the leg, just like they do in It Follows, and it shows her trying to get up through the water. It's uh -huh. not as clear, it's not as good of a shot, Yeah. but it's, you know, and it's it, cool. And it predates it, yeah. so yeah. So Jen is freaking out about who it could be. They found Putnam. I don't know where he, like, he just shows up. Yeah, he does. And... Putnam has been giving Jen shit this whole movie because, like, he's the only one that, that she, she won't have sex with. with. Yeah. You've got your arms around me, Jenny. I can only assume this means every other man on the island is dead. 
and she's doing something. I forget. And he's just like, do give it a rest, Jen. <laughs> Lars, we're here. Oh, do give it a rest, Jen. Like, because she's just being super slutty. And then he finds out that, like, Juan slept with her, too. And he's like, honestly, Jen, am I the only one? <laughs> I mean, let's see. You had sex with Rolo, and he's dead. You and Cliff, right? He's dead. Give me a break. I screwed Juan and Pete, and those guys aren't dead. Bloody hell, Jen, am I the only one? Uh, it's very funny. Putnam's my favorite. <laughs> and there's there's a basically a motive for almost everyone here on the island. People think that Jenny might be a killer already because she's now hosting an aerobic show. Where she used to be in the back, but yes. two people have died, and yes. so she's gotten moved <laughs> up to the front. So they think it might be her. One, it's revealed that... He was in prison earlier, and nobody knows why. And it's tied into what Kelsey just said about Jenny. So they find Coconut Pete dead. We never see him die. His body comes smashing into the into the glass. And they're like, it was one. He did it. You have a criminal record, yada, yada. And he has to explain what he did. And he went to prison because he had sex with a goat. And everyone's like, oh, come on. He's like, well, hey, I wore a condom. And then Jenny's like, you said that was against your religion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going anywhere with one. I mean, what kind of a man has sex with a goat? Hey, I used a condom. You told me they're against your religion. Jenny might be a murderer. Juan has a prison record. Lars has a shrine to Coconut Pete. The DJ's parents were parents were, were trampled to death at a Coconut Putnam, Pete concert. And that's what Putnam's been like holding over everybody this whole time. Yeah. I know things you don't, and yeah. it ends up being that. And then Jen's just like, everybody knows that. <laughs> we all knew that way to bring it up, Putman. And what else? Oh yeah, but but he treats Coconut Pete like a like a dad because he's his uncle, Uncle Pete. They also think that if Coconut Pete dies, then it could be the DJ because he would inherit the island because he's his closest relative. He's like, he already signed the island over to me. I already own the island. There's no motive there. And so their, their motives are being set up and knocked down throughout the movie. And it could be anyone. Like I said, there's a vague reference to Penelope possibly being a murderer. So the killer comes after them and basically... Jen leaves Putnam behind and he's just like, you Piccadilly whore. Well, when they think it's him <laughs> and they're they're hiding under the bed, uh, Lars and Jenny are hiding under the bed. She uses one of her sex toys that she has under the bed, which is a handcuffs, and she handcuffs him to the bed. And then they get out and they realize it's just Putman. Then the killer does show up and he's like, that's what he calls her, a Piccadilly whore. <laughs> you manacled me to my deathbed, you Piccadilly whore. And he uses his tennis skills to buy them time by flinging tennis balls at him, at the killer. And then she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, I could never stay mad at you, Jenny. <laughs> and he tells them to hide. So they go and they hide. And of course, he doesn't tell them who it is. He's just like, I knew it was you. Yeah, which like, is another horror movie cliche, which is awesome. So they're looking for the, the murderer. And they come across these three mub baths. And they check two of them, and there's nobody in there. And when they check the second one, he pops out of one of the other ones. Yes. And it is the fun, fun police. police. <laughs> and he has a reason for killing everyone. Like, the three people were smoking his weed when they claimed not to have any left. Uh, we didn't say, but he killed the DJ when off screen. He decapitated him and put his his head on the record player. He, he wants the island. Yeah, he couldn't believe that this fuck up 
inherited the island when he did more for the for the resort than anybody else, and he's just gone insane, is basically the explanation. At one point, he's coming after Juan, and he says something about, that's bullshit, and Juan goes, you are the bullshit! <laughs> Which is funny. And at one point, he's like, the fun is done, and he's gonna kill them. And they keep, like, basically killing him, and he keeps coming back. Very much like in Halloween and Friday the 13th. At one point, Jen is in a boat and he pops up out of the water. Yeah, that's another reference again, yeah. But it ends with them. So there's there's Don't four like- there's four people left. There's there's Lars, there's Jenny, there's Juan, and there's Penelope. Which I don't think we ever explained. Did we explain why we're calling her Penelope? Juan calls her that. Yeah, because everyone's wearing a name tag, so you can get to know everyone on the island. <laughs> and he says that's a beautiful name as he grabs her breast, which is where her name tag is, which is not okay, man. <laughs> and reads her name tag, which is Penelope. He reads it as Penelope. <laughs> for the rest of the movie, he calls her Penelope, and it is hilarious. That is a beautiful name. Penelope. Penelope. It's breathtaking. Apparently that happened to somebody in Broken Lizard. They were watching a movie or something and like the credits were coming up and somebody shouted or said loudly in the theater when the name Penelope came up on screen. What kind of name is Penelope? (laughs) (laughs) The four of them are left and their solution is to get a boat so they can get off the island. There are two boats. When they're running away, they jump off the cliff, which Juan is very good at. Because he's the, the, the water sports instructor. <laughs> I know this is going to sound disgusting, but when you jump, keep your legs together and clench your ass cheeks or else water will fly up your butthole and polarize your intestine. Gross! They find one of the boats sunk at the bottom there. And that one has a good propeller. So they take the propeller from that one, go to the other one that Lars found that had the broken propeller, and they go to swap it off. Dude is still coming at them. And there, there's a lot of fights. Juan gets gutted at one point trying to save them. And it is actually kind of tragic because Juan's kind of great. And he does something very dangerous to help everyone out. And uh, so good on you, Juan. You're pretty awesome. They end up tying Sam, the fun policeman, around the, the floating dock. And wrapping the rope around and around and around and around and him. squeezing him to death. Until eventually, yeah, he gets ripped in half. And he still comes after them. Yes. <laughs> Which is, again, just a reference to all those movies where the killer seems to be supernaturally powered. Which they always end up saying they are. Yeah, if you go enough sequels into it, it's some demon worm <laughs> or some dream Devil druids. or druids. Yeah, there's it. Any slasher movie franchise that goes long enough, there will be a supernatural element that comes into it. But ultimately, they do manage to get away. And we see that scene from Friday the 13th where he comes out of the water. And it's just the, the joke is that it's just his upper torso and grabs her. And she just throws him back into the water. And they're able to boat away and then we see the lower half of sam just kicking around in the water after them and that's kind of the end of the movie right there kelsey lightning round most of my notes are just like funny punchlines. yes so, like, see, i I'm told not, you i'm you not really, gonna go through um you should just watch the movie yourself it's like, so really funny should. 
It's just every line has a joke in it or a reference of some kind. The end credits have a really funny song. It's it's so dumb. It's really stupid, but it's kind of making fun of those like modern end credits songs where they might be like maybe a little bit hip hoppy or rocky. It's like an energetic sort of feel. But if you listen to the lyrics, what he's saying is gotta go, gotta go, P-O-O-P. <laughs> but you can hardly tell unless you're actually listening to the lyrics. At one point, the killer, Sam, sits up. He does like an Undertaker sit-up, just like in Halloween, mm-hmm. which I call it an Undertaker sit-up because that's what I grew up with. I grew up with the Undertaker from WWE. At one point, Hank, Coconut Pete's bodyguard, interrupts everyone, like panicked crowd noises with an obnoxious sound and a cool demeanor. Just like Quint in Jaws, where he scratches his nails across the board. Instead, it's him sucking through a straw of an empty cup, so it makes that annoying sound. (laughs) So tons and tons of references to fantastic horror movies. Like, they know what they're doing, and they know what they're talking about. Here's a little hint for you when we get to the Rotten Tomatoes stuff. People do not like this movie. They think it's, it's not funny, and it's not scary. I almost feel like... I don't know how to explain that. Like, why? Like, is it because they don't see all the references? Is it because the movie didn't stop and emphasize every joke that they didn't understand the jokes? And so they thought it wasn't funny? Like, what? I don't get why people walk away from this movie thinking it's not funny. A lot of people don't like this kind of humor. It's dumb humor. And I get that. That much makes sense. It's really stupid. Do not expect like classy jokes because it's not it's just a bunch of sex and violence and you would think that if you knew who broken lizard was you wouldn't expect that you'd think but they obviously know what they're doing in filmmaking in comedy and in horror like they're not incompetent yeah and i i think the reason i love it is because it has it really respects its genre. Yeah. You may not think it does because of the stupid humor, but with all the references, it's pretty remarkable how much they respect horror. Yeah. And how much they know about horror. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's a mixture of all the right silly stupidness with a love for horror. So I, I really enjoy it. I mean, if you don't love the genre... And you don't like stupid humor, you're going to hate this movie. Yeah, and I guess some people did. Uh, Can we also say, I don't think we talked about the line, when he's trying to explain to the only people left, we didn't mention you, there's tons of stupid jokes about one of the characters' names. Quiet, you! you. Yeah. (laughs) Her name is you. A lot of those jokes. Pete, you and Hank are dead. Why? What did we do? No, man. You and Hank are fucking dead. You threatening me? Because if you are, you little hairless lapdog. puta, just come and look. She dies, and so does Carlos. And so all they're left with are just these two, what may, who knows, like like kitchen hands or something to make the food. And he's like coconut trying to teach Coconut Pete's paella. <laughs> Do you know what the secret ingredient is in coconut Pete's paella? <laughs> coconut Pete's paella? <laughs> coconut? Yes, goddammit. <laughs> Jesus, do you think Eddie Money has to put up with this shit? Secret ingredient? Coconut? Peace? Uh, coconut? Yes, goddammit! Yes! Yes! 
I was literally busting up laughing, really, like, out loud laughter, which I don't get all the time. So, I fucking love this movie, and I don't care if you hate it. I don't care if you think it's stupid. You're wrong. (laughs) Oh, I mentioned we were going to say this later on. It may be apocryphal. I couldn't find substantiating evidence anywhere else, probably because if you look up Jimmy Buffett and Club Dread, you're just going to find a bunch of articles about Club Dread, because every article on Club Dread mentions Jimmy Buffett, so it's kind of hard to find this, but this is true. I found several sources saying that they screened the movie in Florida specifically for Jimmy Buffett, like they wanted him to see it, and he really enjoyed it, but apparently he asked them and got permission from them to play one of Coconut Pete's songs on his tours. And occasionally he will play a song from this movie live at his concerts. With that said, Kelsey, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I'm going to say 18? 29%. Comedy is too hit or miss in this slasher spoof. The consensus review actually says comedy is too hit or miss is this slasher spoof. So they obviously don't care about this very much. It's not even a complete sentence, really. Like, it, and there's that typo. It's like they just do not care about this movie. Its Metacritic rating is a little bit more generous because you can come out not liking it and still give it a middling score. So its Metacritic is 45. Its cinema score is actually a B which is higher than I Know What You Did Last Summer. So actual people coming out of the theater thought it was good. But people fucking hate this movie. (laughs) Like, seriously, all over the reviews. It's like, it's not funny. It's not scary. Fuck this stupid movie. Like, no, you're all wrong. I stand by this movie. It is dumb, and I think that's okay. Just because it's dumb doesn't mean it's bad. That's my stance. Yeah. I love that they just brush past a lot of their humor. Yeah. So, like, if you found a certain joke, like, really dumb, which there are certainly lots of them. They've they already just, moved on. They've already moved on. They're not sitting there on a joke like, isn't this funny? Yeah. Are you laughing yet? Uh-huh. It's just, hey, if you thought that was funny, great. Now we've got more jokes for you. I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we kind of burned through this movie really fast, but... I mean, everything there's is not a lot of plot no. content to go through I mean, there's some here. twists and turns. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about you at all, like I said. The great thing about this movie is just watching it. So just, just watch it. I think you should. This movie is so funny. <laughs> I could just sit here and just go through all the punchlines, but... I mean, I kind of want to watch it again right now. <laughs> but I have to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that is 2004's Club Dread, thus ending our... Summer vacation week here on Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? It's the 4th of July! Hooray! And so what are we watching? We are going to be watching Jaws! Yes! Because something that a lot of people forget is that it takes place... On the 4th of July. On the 4th of July. We've got a panic on the 4th of July. <laughs> Jaws. Jaws is one of my favorite all-time movies, period. Not just horror movies. And I understand some people don't even think it's a horror movie because it's like... How could you not? Because it's like an adventure movie 
And How could you not think of this as a horror movie? I don't understand. It's like a wilderness adventure, but on the beach, you know, it's like, it's like the gray. I would call that a horror movie, but some people see that as just like, oh, it's man versus wild. That's not horror. No, it, it's horror. <laughs> this is more of a monster movie to me. Yeah. And monster movies are horror movies, yeah. you know? So, but one of my favorite movies of all time. And then we're going to pair it with a movie that didn't get such good reviews. We have not seen it. Neither of us have seen this. No. The Shallows. Yeah, starring Blake Lively, Deadpool's wife. Yeah, so it's going to be Shark Week next week. Yeah. <laughs> on Pod Cemetery. <laughs> I'm really excited for that. I'm curious to see what's going on in The Shallows. In the Shallows, Shallow. Well, from what I've read... A lot of people don't like it because... It's like a bottle movie, basically, right? It all takes place in this one yes. single location. But I think that like a lot of people hours. got frustrated because it wasn't just like a shark, like, oh, you're a human and I want food. It was like a, I want you. Yeah, you specifically... Apparently really bothered people. Like if you watch Jaws 4... <laughs> If you go long enough, there's a supernatural element. <laughs> this Jaws 4. I have not seen a single one of the Jaws sequels. Really? Yep. Never seen a single one. Only Jaws 3D is remarkable. <laughs> yes, the third Jaws is in 3D. And it takes place. I don't know how they got it. I don't know how they got it. But the climax of the movie takes place in SeaWorld. <laughs> how they allowed. Because, like, there are these water displays. You know, like, when you're in a tunnel. And there's water, you're like underwater. It's and the there's, coolest thing. Yeah, no, it's I know really aquariums cool. are evil, but I think that's the coolest thing. <laughs> no, but they have like this shark breaking through the glass in these things. Like, why on earth would SeaWorld allow them to do this? I don't know. We're going to have to read up on it when we eventually someday get to Jaws 3D. But that, <laughs> God, that's some garbage movie, but it's also fun to watch. <laughs> but I think it's Jaws 4. He, like, the shark. follows them across the world. Yes! <laughs> like, identifies the family and tracks them down thousands of miles away. Are you fucking kidding me? And it has... Michael... Kane. Kane. Michael Kane. Michael Kane. Michael Kane. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred! Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited for next week. It's Shark Week. It's fucking, fucking Jaws! So good. So expect us to just go on and on about how good Jaws is, or at least me. I love Jaws, but Chris is way better I'm, than that. She loves Jaws. I'm in love with Jaws. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, that will be next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, our Twitter at podcemetery, or our email podcemetery at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us in your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews go the longest way. Thank you for sharing us with your friends. And of course, most of all, thank you for listening in the first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Kids like you should be out having fun. Drinking, partying, running people over, getting away with murder, things like that. Hoisted another glass. In Pina Colada Park Coconut milk with a pineapple splash Don't forget that the rum comes third 
you're referring to my song Pina Colada Berg. No, Margaritaville. <laughs> I think you mean Pina Colada Berg. Little song I wrote seven and a half fucking years before Margaritaville was even on the map. Of course, you wouldn't know that because you weren't even born yet. <laughs> Come on, Hawks, y'all. Let's get us a drink. I don't need to shit. Come on, man. Fuck that guy. Last time you didn't put in the summer summertime song. I will do that this time. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the leader of the snow. I wasn't going to do that one. <laughs> the leader of the snow. <laughs> no, not the leader of the snow. It was even on an episode of Unsolved. What's it fucking called? Unsolved Mysteries. It's kind of a redundant name when you think about it. Of course it's unsolved. It's a mystery. If it was solved, on. it wouldn't be a mystery. Hold on. <laughs> we, uh, Lord, just, a, a boot. boot. <laughs> oh my god. Don't worry, I will censor that. Quack, quack. You want it to be a duck quacking? That's what <laughs> okay. we did last time. Yeah. A Jennifer Love Hewitt stand? Stan. We've had conversations about this. When you stand something, when you stand for something, you are obsessed with it. Oh. You're a big, you're such a big fan that you're obsessed with it. That's dumb. Like, <laughs> no, like Stan from the Eminem song. Yes. Stan. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's dumb. We've had a conversation about that. It's dumb. <laughs> it's just a part of everyday vernacular now. People just say it. It's not like. I've never heard it. I don't know how you've never heard it. I've probably seen it and heard it like thousands of times. Where have you been? Don't know. (laughs) This movie is full of people. I'm going to put this at the end, but just to point out who's in She's All That. We got Freddie Prince Jr., Rachel Lee Cook, Matthew Lillard, Paul Walker, Jody Lynn O'Keefe, Kevin Pollack, Anna Paquin, Kieran Culkin, Usher, Lil Kim, Gabrielle Union, Dulé Hill. Like, this movie was full of people <laughs> who are huge stars today. Jesus, Sarah Michelle Gellar is in it in an uncredited role. Also, I think his name is Cesar. Cesar. I don't give a shit. <laughs> it could be Cesare, eh? but I'm pretty sure it's Cesar. Uh... SGDQ has started, and I'm doing this instead of watching it. 
Penelope. Don't forget to rate and review us in your podcatcher of chores. Chores? Chores. Chores. took him to a seahorse whorehouse. <laughs> You've manacled me to my deathbed, you piccadilly whore. <laughs> oh, my butthole! <laughs> my asshole. My asshole. <laughs> it's so dumb.